But it wasn't until we moved here to Camino that my interest really took off. And that was sparked by uh, one December when my husband had to go into the hospital. When I took him in, it was snowing. When I got home, it was a blizzard. The snow was so deep, I couldn't get the car out again. I got home and the, the furnace had stopped working. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 180 of the Kamano Voice. Today, I speak with the president of the Kamano Preparedness Group. Please welcome Rhonda Paulson. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kamano Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 180 of the Commando Voice. Um, uh, as I'm recording this, this is actually on Memorial Day. Uh, and I just want to take a minute and thank you to all of the people. Uh, thank you for the people that gave their lives for the freedom and the rights and things that we have in this country. Um, and, uh, and especially to the families, um, because obviously the families are the ones that are left behind after the smoke clears and, and things. And so uh, I just wanted to thank you um, for your guys' sacrifice, um, for the sacrifice of the people that, that had died um, for our freedom. And so uh, I just wanted to do a quick moment of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope everyone had a good weekend, um, was hopefully able to get out in that sunshine and, and get some yard work or whatever you were going to get done, done. Uh, I got my garage organized a little bit, uh, and my wife did like a hundred other things around the house projects. And so, um, I'd say, you know, we were about even, you know, I accomplished one thing. She accomplished like a hundred things. So yeah, you know, uh, that's, that's my benefit of being there. Um, okay. Um, moving on. Uh, so today's podcast, um, I got to interview Rhonda Paulson, who is the president and a founding member of the Kamano Preparedness Group here on Kamano Island. Um, you've probably seen them at different events. Um, they've hosted different events at different times. And um, I think it's a good reminder. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, there's there's probably an idea that you get when people talk about Kamano, or uh, about preparedness and, and being prepared for a disaster, these different things. And I think... People get, you think of like, you know, preppers or things like that uh, and kind of being on the extreme end where you get a bunker and you have all this different stuff. Um, but, but I think what Rhonda did, especially in this episode, was just break it down very practically. Um, we obviously have lived through COVID, which was this insane time um, where some of these things actually came into play. So it's not like these things don't come into play. Um, and then, especially on Kameno, you know that every winter you're probably going to get snow. You're probably going to lose power uh, due to wind, snow, or rain, or whatever. Um, and there's just going to be times where it's very difficult for you to get to the grocery store, um, especially if you live on the south end of the island. So the advice here is really all practical. Um, and then as much as it's something that we don't talk about that much, it is, you know, we do live on an island, even though we're, we're technically on and off. We've got a bridge on and off the island. Um, and it doesn't always feel like we live on an island. But if we ever have a disaster of any sort, where it's an earthquake or a big enough wave or anything like that that takes out our bridge, 
um, for some time, we will be here alone on the island. And so being prepared for any of those scenarios is, is, a, um, is not just, um, uh, you know, it, or maybe not, not just, but it's a good idea to be prepared for these types of scenarios because it's not like they're, they are never going to happen. There's actually a, a very high chance um, that they will happen at some point. And so being aware of those challenges, being aware of how to deal with those and what you're going to do in those situations. So um, she does a really good job of getting into all of this and more. So I'm going to let her do the talking. Uh, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Rhonda Paulson. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kamano Voice. Today, I'm here with the president of the Kamano Preparedness Group, as well as the lead of Kamano Community Emergency Response Team, or CERT for short. Welcome to the podcast, Rhonda Paulson. Thank you. Yeah, so before we get started, tell us a little bit about Rhonda. Oh, my. Um, I was born and grew up in Kansas. Hmm. And no, Toto, I don't want to go home. (laughs) I uh, went to school to, I started in college to be a nurse, but it wasn't what I really wanted. Um, growing up at the time and the location that, that I did, there weren't a lot of options for girls. Okay. So the options were pretty much, I could be a teacher, a secretary, or a nurse, or I could be a homebody. Okay. So <laughs> I completed three years of college, decided that even though I had less than a semester to go to graduate, I didn't like my options. Yeah. So I gave it up, and I got married, and I stayed home. And, well, I actually, I worked and put my husband through his bachelor's and his master's degree, and we raised family. Uh, we moved out here to Washington in 1976 or 77. Okay. So, somewhere along there. And was the best move I think we ever made getting our children where our two daughters and our son all had options for growing up. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, were both you and your husband from Kansas then? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, my husband was born and raised in Wichita. Um, we met in third grade. Wow. Okay. So nice. We didn't start dating till college, but we've known each other for many, many, many years. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, so what was it like then growing up in Kansas the biggest concerns that we had there were, of course, tornadoes. Okay. Lots of thunderstorms, uh, lots of lightning, and anyone who says lightning can't strike twice in the same place is wrong because <laughs> it struck our house twice. Um, there's a lot of severe ice storms as well, and at the time I didn't realize that a half an inch of ice can add 500 pounds to a line and snap a pole in two. So it was no wonder we had a lot of downed lines. Wow. I'm thankful we don't get that out here. Yeah. Man. Well, and, and like when you see those things, too, like I've seen pictures and stuff, and mm. it looks surreal because like the cars are covered, like where you couldn't move the car if you wanted to. And you, right. You know, all these different things. Um, wow. And, was, and you lived, um, it was after college that you guys moved out here then? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was after we got married. We'd been married... What, six or seven years, I think, when we moved out here. Okay. And what drew you to Washington versus, you know, any of the other coasts? <laughs> well, we were wanting to get to uh, a location where our kids had better options than, than I had growing up. And my husband came out here to Seattle on a business trip. I got a call from him that evening, and he said, how would you like to live in Seattle? <laughs> so <laughs> that brought us out here. 
Very cool. Was that uh, was that a summer business trip or was it a fall or winter one? Um, I believe it was probably late summer, early fall. Okay. Um, it didn't take long for him to be offered uh, an opportunity. He was working for Southwestern Bell at the time in okay. Wichita. And when AT&T found that he would like to be out here, um, they offered him a, a promotion and paid us to come out. Okay. Nice. So that yeah. worked out very well. Very cool. Well, and the... Um <laughs> the reason I ask is the people that come out to Washington in the summer or that kind of period, they're like, it's beautiful. Why does not everybody want to live here? And then, you know, you live yeah. through a few winters and you're like, oh, okay, I get There's a balance. There's right, always a balance. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a little bit of a shock coming out here, but I happen to be somebody who likes the clouds and the rain. Yeah. So I was fine with that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I'm someone, you know, I've, I've tr- been able to, uh, had the fortune of being able to travel to different countries and things like that. And, you know, there's pieces of like tropical countries and stuff that I enjoy. Um, <clears throat> you get the, you know, you get the nice weather and everything like that, but I'm also a jacket person. Like I like having a sweatshirt or a jacket or something on. And if it's always too hot to have that, I'm like, but I want to put on a jacket. Right. Well, I have a very narrow comfort zone and this, this fits it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be fair, our winters may be gloomy, but they're not, you're not going to die from the ice, you know, from an ice storm or whatever else is coming at you. Yeah, we may get snowed in for a while, but it usually doesn't last all that long. Yeah. So. Very cool. So then um, when you guys moved over here then, uh, were you continuing to, did you continue to work post that or were you more of a stay-at-home mom? No, I was a stay-at-home mom from the time my husband uh, graduated with his master's degree and got a job. um, Then I started staying home to raise our two daughters. Our son was born out here, actually. Okay. So. Nice. So then, um, as they were kind of leaving the house and, and everything, what were things that you were kind of looking at possible future interests and things like that? I have always been a chronic volunteer. Okay. So it started out with the kids with school and after school activities. Um, when we came out here, I started volunteering for an international folk dance group. Um, my husband and I taught and performed for them for several years, um, which was a real joy. Nice. I miss doing that, but we, we haven't done that for a while. Okay. Um, but I just, I always wanted to be involved in something with the community, some, some avenue that I could give something back to the community. Yeah. Very cool. And, um... With folk dancing, did you do other forms of dancing, or did you primarily stay in that realm? It was international folk dancing. That was where my love was. I fell in love with it in junior high when I found a book of, of uh, instructions for different folk dances. But there was no place to do it there, mm-hmm. and I had no access to any of the music. When we came out here and I found the uh, Snow King International Folk Dance Group, their repertoire was almost every dance in that book. Oh, that's so cool. So, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, my, my wife and I, uh, we grew up, well, not grew up, but when we started dating, we a lot of our relationship was uh, swing dancing. Swing so, dancing's cool, too. Yeah, yeah, so we got really into East Coast, primarily East uh-huh. Coast swing, and um, we did that all through our dating and engagement and early marriage, and then we had kids, and it, it dried up real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it puts a, a kibosh on a lot. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. No, I like the international folk dancing because it gave us access to information about cultures and 
I love the costuming from the different countries, so. Yeah, nice. Is that something you think you'll pick back up at some point? Um, probably not. My husband's health issues kind of put a, uh, an end to it, so. Yeah. Okay. So, um, as you, you know, you, you mentioned that you grew up in Kansas and stuff. Um, do you feel like that had a part in your kind of um, preparedness side and like kind of an interest in that? In a small way. Um, I was involved in campfire when I was young. My mother was a, a leader for our group and we did a lot of camping, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, learning a bit of preparedness in that realm helped. When we moved out here, we just almost immediately started um, hiking at Mount Rainier. Yeah. Every opportunity we had, we, we spent hiking at Mount Rainier. And you learned a little bit about preparedness for that. You yep. don't go into the mountains without being prepared. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until we moved here to Kameno that my interest really took off. And that was sparked by uh, one December when my husband had to go into the hospital. When I took him in, it was snowing. When I got home, it was a blizzard. The snow was so deep, I couldn't get the car out again. Oh. I got home, and the, the furnace had stopped working. Whew. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a generator. At the time, it was not a push-button generator, and I could not get that pull start to work. <laughs> oh, no. The wood stove we had, our wood was buried under tarp, covered in snow, it was pitch black outside, and there was no way I was going to get it unburied. So I figured as I sat there in the, in the cold, and a neighbor finally hiked a couple of um, um, portable heaters down to me. Okay. But as I was sitting there, I, I was thinking, this isn't, this isn't going to fly. It's time I figured out how to be better prepared. Yeah. And that's when my interest really took off. Got it. And I love that you bring up camping. One, one thing I, and I mean, I love camping. Anyone in the Northwest, I think, enjoys camping. That's why they live here. Um, and for me, camping is always like a mini adventure because you always get there, no matter how many times you go through the checklist or whatever, you forget something. something. And it's always fun for me and the kids and, and um, my wife to try and figure out like, okay, so we're missing this fairly vital piece that we need for this. <laughs> How are we going to make this work? Because obviously we're not going to drive a few hours back home. And, right. Um, so it's always that, you know, there's always something missing and there's always like you've got to problem solve and figure it out. And um, that's always kind of the fun part. Yeah. Um, hiking with uh, three small children. Mm -hmm. it, it never failed. There was always something that was left behind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, I love that piece of it because it just always is like a mini version of adventure, but like there's usually nothing like, you know, not life or death or anything. It's just right. kind of like a, oh, right, we got to figure this out. Exactly, yeah. Although it, in the mountains, you just never know what the weather's going to be either. Right. And that can turn into quite an adventure all by itself. Right. Yeah. Up here, it's just always prepare for rain. Always pack a rain jacket for or me. If you're in the mountains, snow. Yeah. Um, so then. As you started realizing on Kameno, these types of things do actually happen, um, what were your first steps in kind of learning more about it then? Um, I heard that there was a group that dealt with preparedness. So I found out about them and I started attending some meetings and there were three or four others who started attending about the same time that I did. And we went through a few months where it seemed to be, we sit and we talk about the problems 
and go home. <laughs> and the next month we come back and we do the same thing. So this group of us decided, no, if we're not going to do something about it, what's the point? Right. Let's do something about it. And that's when we decided to organize around the mission of education to try to educate as many people on the island as possible about the types of risks that we face because we live on an island Mm -hmm. and the measures that they can take so that they're better prepared. Yeah. And I have learned a great deal um, since I started doing that. Yeah. So in that vein, then, if we start with something like kind of simple, what are like basic things that you feel like every household should have on hand? Every household should be prepared in the same manner for any type of, of disaster. Disasters can, can vary a lot in scope and length of time, but the needs are always going to be the same. Prepare for power outages, because that's probably what you're going to have. Yeah. If you have the power out, are you going to have access to water? Not all water associations or wells have backup generators. Mm-hmm. So you need a supply of water. You'll need a supply of food, and it needs to be a variety of foods. If the power is out for a short time, eat what you've got in the refrigerator. No big deal. If it's going to be out for a long time, you eat what you have in the refrigerator, then you move to the freezer, and then you can move to the stored goods to get you through however long the duration is going to be. Mm -hmm. So it's water, food, and medications, you need to make sure you've got enough medications on hand um, to get you through in case you can't get out to get prescriptions filled. Yeah. And make sure that you've got the same for your pets. Mm. Water, food, and medications if they have them. Yeah. So those, those things. And have something for comfort. Um, books you like to read, puzzles you like to do, something you can keep yourself entertained when the lights are out and there's no TV. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, you know, that medication one is interesting. Um, one, because of our, the community here on Camino, we do have an older generation or older community here um, in general. Um, but I feel like when anything like this, you know, snow or whatever happens, like, you know, we're all living our lives and like, oh, I'll go refill that prescription tomorrow or I'll forget for tomorrow or next week. And right. then if something happens, you're down to whatever because, you know, oh, it's going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, and if you happen to have uh, a situation where you, your medications are critical, for instance, my husband is a kidney transplant recipient, so he has um, anti-rejection drugs mm-hmm. that he has to take. Yeah. So he has to have his, his medications, and not all insurance companies will allow you to fill them for three months at a time. Right. Which gets a little dicey. If you have something that happens that's going to go on for several weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like when COVID first hit, like things were shutting down and we didn't know, you know. Yeah. And we don't have an on-island pharmacy any longer. Right. Um, We have very limited medical care on the island. Yeah. So we have to be prepared thinking about our own personal health and what are we going to need to get through. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So then, um, as you were continuing to, to read into this, um, when did you guys kind of come up with the Kameno Preparedness Group then? I believe it was 2015 that we incorporated as a 501c3. And when we did that, we had to come up with a name and bylaws and 
um, all sorts of, of business uh, agendas. Yeah. So that we could be structured. Yeah. Yeah. So then what was the mission of, of the Camino Preparedness Group when you guys started it? Education. That's, that has been our primary goal all along, to educate as many residents as possible. Yeah. Um, there, the risks vary, but preparing for them is pretty much the same. It's yeah. just the duration may, may vary. Yeah. So then um, when you're looking at, at preparedness, I think... Um, so yeah, I, I was a boy scout. So I like remember them talking, you know, one of the mottos is be prepared and there's always that piece. So I'm always like thinking in that vein. Um, but there's also like, not to put them in a negative sense, but like, you know, people call people, certain people like preppers or like kind of over the top where, how do you kind of balance that? Like not being to the point where you're building a bunker in your backyard, but you're, you're prepared. Yeah. Well, preparedness is a state of mind. Um, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of the potentials and knowing that you can just survive for the next, say, 72 hours to start with. Um, In the Island County Department of Emergency Management's um, emergency plan, there is a piece that states that every household is responsible for their own preparedness for seven to ten days. Okay. And we like to take it, say, okay, you start with seven to ten days. And then you try, depending on your budget and and your amount of space for storage, you try to expand that out to two weeks and then to a month. Given where we live, if the worst possible scenario hit, Mm -hmm. we would be better prepared for two to three months. Yeah. I mean, we will be isolated. That's our biggest risk all by itself. Weather can isolate us, uh, damage on the bridge, or a major accident that uh, wipes out our access on and off the island for several hours. Yeah. Um, it's isolation. Weather can strand us in our own neighborhoods. Yeah. Especially on Camino. Yeah. <laughs> once, you get, once you get past the plaza, they, they don't come down there with the... Right. Well, and, and our driveway is very steep, and our garage is at the bottom of it. So... <laughs> Well, getting in, just getting hold in on. Is, yeah. <laughs> Open the garage door, right. slide in. Right, exactly. <laughs> getting out again, that's, that's, a, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of homes like that. Yeah. Um, plus where we live, which is on the very southern tip of the island, um, we are on a dirt road. So it's about a half a mile to get down to South Camino Drive. Yeah. And it's not always uh, plowed or salted or whatever. Right. So um, a lot of the island is that way. Very steep access. Yeah. Uh, limited um, road work when the weather's really severe. I mean, there's a certain amount of time they just can't get out. Right. And we have limited pe- personnel to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is that piece at the south end of the island, you know, we, we're always, or a lot of times we talk about like Camino's and kind of in that banana belt or like the weather but the south tip of the island kind of tucks out of that. And then, like you said, they don't get down there. So, like, what might be a two- or three-day inconvenience for the north end of the island can be two or three weeks down exactly. at the south end. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the whole island has um, many uh, weather systems that, that float through. So it can be raining like crazy on the north end, 
and doing nothing on the south end <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. And in the middle is in the middle. <laughs> um, they can get heavy snow in the middle and nothing on the north and the south. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, we've, we've definitely had that because typically the south end usually gets hit with like, if, whether it's snow or kind of more severe weather, a lot of times it'll hit on the south end right. harder than the yeah. north. But I remember, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, there was a time where, like, they kept predicting there's a lot of snow coming, a lot of snow coming. And then it came, and the south end was, I was like, oh, you guys from the south end, they're like, we didn't get anything. I was like, right. what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the rule of thumb, however, is if you live on the south end, we're going to be the first to lose power and the last to get it back. So be prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, can you share an experience? You talked about that kind of the, the catalyzing event that made you like really dig into this stuff because you're like, this can't happen again. Um, can you share a personal experience where this has kind of been the reverse of that's happened from your preparedness and stuff? Or where we were prepared, you mean? Yeah. Um, the uh, November weather, the heavy uh, windstorm that blew through here in, in November. Yeah. Um, they were predicting winds. And we ha I keep my pantry supplied. We have plenty of water. Uh, one of the, I suppose, silver linings to my husband's situation is being on anti-rejection drugs, he's been told he cannot drink the well water here on the island. Okay. There's too great a risk for potential contamination. Anything, yeah. And so we have to have purified water delivered for him. So we have this huge supply of purified water on hand. Mm-hmm. So I know, rationing that, we can get through for a fair amount of time. So food and water is covered. Our pets are covered. I've got food and water for them. The biggest concern is Larry's medications. And as long as I try to, to keep them um, refilled in a timely manner, we should be good for at least a month. Wow. Okay. So the, that November windstorm, <clears throat> we couldn't get out for about three days. When, we did, when I was finally able to get out, it was um, driving a broken field runner pattern back and forth across the island to be able to get off and then doing the same coming back. Yeah. So it was not something that I was likely to do. I was very glad that we had everything we needed yeah. right there. The only thing I had to get off for was to get gas for a gas generator. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And that, you know, that is the, the thing. And, and, you know, every, and I feel like, and maybe you could speak to this, over the last probably five years, um, maybe a little bit past that. I feel like our winters, whether it's snow, wind, we've had almost more severe things happen over the last five years than I remember because I grew up here mm -hmm. uh, between 95 and, you know, mid-2000s. Um, I don't remember that much snow or I know there was always wind, but, you know. Yeah, we have had an increase and it's, it's going to be global and it's going to continue to happen as the globe warms it's going to create more severe weather patterns mm -hmm. everywhere. And we are no exception to that. Um, the interesting thing about the last three winters is that we had a very rare third La Nina in a row. Hey, guys, just jumping in real quick. Uh, Rhonda actually emailed me after this uh, podcast because she realized she misspoke on a couple things with La Nina and El Nino. And I think you can hear it in her answer that she actually knew what she was saying. Or she knew what the correct thing was, what, but she just said it incorrectly in the wrong order. So a La Nina 
is uh, cooler and wetter weather, and then El Nino is warmer and drier weather. So anyways, she just wanted to make sure that she, she had me correct that in here. So anyways, I will continue with the podcast now. Okay. And El Nino is colder, drier weather, so our temperatures were a lot colder. But when we do get moisture, that means it's going to be snow. Okay. Got it. So um, we have gone out of that. We are moving into an expected uh, El, El Nino, which is warmer, wetter weather. Okay. Um, although they think that through the summer it will be warmer and drier. Okay. So do they think that will kind of take effect as we get into the next fall and winter then? Well, at least from um, June through September. And they, they're not real sure yet. Yeah. What follows that. I'm yeah. still watching to see what they're going to say about that. Right. Well, and, and we were just talking before we started podcasting, the, uh, the fires that are up in Vancouver, and I mean, we're, we're in early, or I guess late May at this point, but we're in May right now, and if we're planning for a, a dry, warm summer... It could get nasty, yeah. Um, another aspect to preparedness that we are really, really promoting is called Neighborhood Ready. And that's where we work with entire neighborhoods hmm. so that not only is every household prepared personally, but everybody knows their neighbors. They know what skills are represented in their neighborhood. They know who has what pieces of equipment and supplies. And they can help one another. Um, I've had our neighborhood organized for several years now. And I cannot tell you the number of times they have come to our aid when we've needed something. Yeah. It really pays to know your neighbors. Yeah. I apologize to my neighbors. I don't have very many skills to bring to the table, <laughs> at least in this type of environment. <laughs> um, but that's, that is really neat. And I do think it's something, um, you know, we, we live in a cul-de-sac. And so that mm -hmm. you kind of get to know your neighbors a little bit better just because mm -hmm. you are in that kind of environment. And, um, you know, it does, it makes a huge difference. I right. mean, when, even when weird cars pull into the cul-de-sac and then we're like, Hey, is that your car? Is that somebody, is that exactly. one of your friends? Yeah, Any you, of those things. You know, when somebody's not in the right place. Yeah. Um, the, um, other piece that we push is called cert training. We mm -hmm. do that twice a year. It picks up where neighborhood ready leaves off. Neighborhood ready gets you <clears throat> organized. You know, your neighbors, you know, what, resources you have within your neighborhood and then cert training comes in and teaches you how to make teams and what those teams are responsible for in case there is the worst case scenario yeah so it covers things like basic preparedness and organizational skills it goes into um, disaster medical operations which includes disaster first aid and logistics um, where do you put your your care center for injured people um, how do you do triage it also goes into um, fire safety and utility safety. Yeah. We are very fortunate that the Camino Island Fire and Rescue will teach the disaster medical portion, uh, first aid portion for us, and they teach the um, fire and utility safety portion for us. Okay. And then we get into light search and rescue. Um, you learn how to distinguish what structures are safe to enter and which ones are not. Okay. Um, how to do rescues. And um, the uh, fire department will cover part of the, the survivor uh, extrication for us. Okay. Uh, and then we touch on terrorism. Mm. So it covers a whole 
array of things that, that you would encounter. Oh, and disaster psychology, that's another important aspect that we cover. Okay. Um, but it covers a whole array of things that, that would be encountered in a disaster. Yeah. So that if we can get people trained in the neighborhoods, then they know how to form the teams and what to do should that be needed. And we hope it never is, but it's always nice to have that skill there. Yeah. Um, we also talk about disaster communications. How are you going to communicate within your neighborhood uh, if things are so bad that you can't get out and walk from point A to point B? How do you communicate with your neighbors when the cell towers and phones are out? Yeah. Uh, and then how do you get information into the neighborhood about how, what's the scope of this, this disaster? And how do you get your neighborhood's information out to the authorities? Yeah. So we, we cover a lot of, of information. Yeah. Well, I just want to touch on this real quick because you brought it up. Um, what are kind of the key pieces to disaster psychology? Because we've seen it play out in movies and stuff like that. But the, the biggest thing is dealing with the stress and the trauma because everybody's going to be traumatized. Yeah. In a major disaster, there's just no way around it. Yeah. Um, there are an awful lot of people ro roaming around right now who are already under a lot of stress. Yeah. And you add a trauma to that. Um, you you're going to have some, some issues. Mm -hmm. And how do you deal with, with people? How do you try to bring some calm to the situation? Um, there is no way that we can treat a, a major trauma, but we can try to help bring people down just a little bit so that they can function. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that people can do for themselves is be prepared. If you're prepared and if you know what you need to do, and that's one of the things we cover with Neighborhood Ready. What are the, the steps that you take in the seconds and minutes immediately following a disaster? If you know what you're supposed to do, that helps keep the trauma down. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it, helps you, it allows you to focus when otherwise, what's the, the saying, when in trouble or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout? <laughs> um, it helps avoid some of that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when any of these things happen, it's when you, uh, or any of these things that you've practiced out, when they happen, your muscle memory, your kind of instinctual stuff starts taking over. And when you have nothing in the instincts bank of like, what do I do? Yeah. You kind of, you want to have motion. So yeah, you run around in circles, but you right. don't do anything. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of activity and no productivity. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, I had a thought, now it's gone. Oh, sorry. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, it, feel free to interrupt if you remember. <laughs> um, I want to touch on something else you mentioned back then, uh, back there, is uh, you mentioned global warming. Um, and there's been conversation of, like, uh, you know, if, if the ice caps melt by X amount, then the water levels rise by this much. And obviously, being on Camino and having a lot of beachfront homes... Um, how should that affect how people are looking at, you know, there are a lot of people that have house, yeah. beach friends house. How do they look at their house? How do they look at In that? the short term, um, they need to look at the potential for tidal inundation. Um, the sea level is going to rise. And that means when we have uh, king tide, it's going to be a little higher. Mm -hmm. If we happen to have a storm surge, it's going to reach inland a little further. So they need to, to have that in mind and either take measures to help um, protect their homes from water intrusion or relocate their home back further. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always possible. Right. Um, in the long term, it's possible that a lot of our waterfront homes may not survive, but that's who knows down, how far down the line. Right. In the, in the short term, they need to be aware of, of um, uh, tidal intrusion. Yeah. Well, and I know this year, this last year, actually, um, <clears throat> we had it where the, the king tide lined up with, the, I think, a wind. With and, a storm surge. And that. And it did, like, uh, you know, um, I know people that are on Arrowhead. You know, mm-hmm. the north end of the island got really hit hard. And, um, you know, <laughs> I saw my dad. He's like, I'm stuck in my house. It's in my garage. <laughs> like, it does. It came. It, it was yeah. on the road. and Yeah, Livingston Bay is another area that can be really heavily hit. Yeah. Um, Kama Beach. They had some serious flooding down yes. at Kama Beach. Yeah. Uh, so there are a number of, of areas. If you live on the waterfront... You need to be aware of that. If you live in, in an area that has an alcove, a cove, uh, something of that sort, where the water can, can come in and sort of get trapped, that's another major place to, to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, so um, out of curiosity, with Kameno, because I think a lot of times we're looking at Kameno as like, in the future, this could happen. Or like if a major earthquake happens, we may not exist anymore. Or, you know, these different like kind of end of world scenarios. But um, from our history, I don't know if you guys have done much research in this. Where have you seen um, things in Kameno's history of things, disasters that have happened where, you know, they need to be more proactive? Yeah, to to my knowledge, there's not been a a lot done. Um, The one study that has been done fairly recently, a geological study, um, was in uh, concerning um, the uh, da, da. I've lost the word and I hate that too. No, <laughs> uh, when an earthquake hits and you have the the floods that come in. Okay. The, the um, not tsunamis. Tsunami. Thank oh, you. Oh, okay. Tsunami. Yeah. Uh, concerning tsunamis, and they found absolutely no indication of any major tsunami hitting Kameno. Okay. Um, I am told that the, a major tsunami would not be able to get in here because the Strait of Juan de Fuca is too narrow, yeah. and there's a ridge down the center of it. So that's going to break up the, the big mass of water. That's yeah. not to say that a lot of water isn't going to get in. Right. I'll hit Whidbey first. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whidbey kind of wraps around us like a, yeah. you know, a shield. Yeah. So um, there could be surges that that make its way down around Whidbey. Um, some of the worst that we would probably be impacted with would be the water that sloshes back and forth between us and Whidbey and us and the mainland. Okay. So those are areas that could be of, of concern. Yeah. Um, but as far as we can tell from the studies, there is not going to be a major tsunami wash over our island. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do need to be aware of um, areas that may be subject to uh, liquefaction. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know what no, that is. No, I, I okay. was going to ask that. If the ground shakes in an earthquake, it separates the grains okay. and the sand and the, and the dirt. And any place where there's water, that water is going to rise up and it becomes like quicksand. Okay. Buildings can sink into it. Uh, cars can sink into it. There aren't many places here on the island that are subject to that, but if it's near water, it's more likely to be. Okay. All of Lower Stanwood 
is subject to liquefaction. <laughs> Not too surprising. <laughs> so if we had a major earthquake, chances are, even if our bridges are still standing, they will be bridges to nowhere because the roads in Stanwood would be gone. Okay. Not too long ago, there was an article, I believe it was in the Everett Herald, that talked about in the event of the most severe earthquake, the uh, county of Snohomish would be split into, I think, 18 islands, and that doesn't mean surrounded by water. It means pockets that would be isolated from one another because of down bridges and, and wiped out roads. Okay. So even if we could get off the island, where are we going to go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, we saw like, um, and that's, so just, that is different than like, mudslides have to do with like sides of hills caving exactly. and stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. Um, versus this, which is, it's flat, but it just turns the liquid. Right, yeah. Um, or it may be on a hillside. Yeah. Um, in looking at the maps, my house is high and dry, but the dirt road back to my house, part of that is undermined by a creek, and that piece of the road is subject to liquefaction. Okay. So I might not be able to get off our road. Yeah. Does that have you guys thinking of, like, Getting bigger vehicles or anything like that? Like, is that something that you think of? Or? No, chances are there'd be enough down trees you wouldn't be able to get a vehicle out anyway. Okay. So um, we're just going to shelter in place and, and work with our neighbors and, and make the best of it. Yeah. Um, so then with looking at all these different things, there's obviously a really big current thing going on within Sandwood, which is the, the failing dike that they've talked about and trying to get that figured out the funding and all that stuff. Right. Um, but how do you think, cause I think a lot of times when we hear about these things, even mm-hmm. what we've talked about, they, they're these like apocalyptic or like crazy big things that could easily happen. It's yeah. not like they, they're, yeah. we've had earthquakes. We've had, we've yeah. seen mudslides. We've seen what happened in Oso or like a whole bit. It's not know. an impossibility. Right. It's things imp- happen all yeah. the time. It's improbable, but it's not impossible. Right. And I feel like every, year that goes by, things become more probable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're getting closer to that big one. <laughs> right. So, um, but specifically talking about like the Stanwood Dyke that mm-hmm. they're trying to do, how do you think people, especially on Camino or, or in Stanwood, should react to that information and how can they be prepared and what are the steps they should be On Camino, it's be prepared to be isolated. <clears throat> um, make sure you have everything that you need because... If that dike goes, it's going to be, again, it's going to be lower Stanwood. And that, that low piece of Camino, when you first come on the island, that's going to be inundated. So we will be isolated. Yeah. Um, outside of that, it may not affect us very much. It's yeah. just the isolation. Uh, the same thing holds with uh, volcanic eruptions. Yeah. The one that's most likely to affect us would be Glacier Peak. Because if it sends a major lahar down, it will follow the rivers and, again, take out Lower Stanwood. <laughs> I don't want to live in Lower Stanwood. Thank you very much. <laughs> so. I feel like there's a theme here <laughs> yeah. you should be aware of. <laughs> yeah. And so when they're looking at things like that, like, obviously, there's people that have boats and stuff on the island. Granted, who mm-hmm. knows if those would be around post this. Um, is when you talk about like preparedness is like a inflatable dinghy or anything like that. Is that something that you guys typically think of as storing? Um, people that have boats, I, I get tickled at them because um, they say, well, we'll just go over to the mainland, but the mainland's going to be in the same condition that we're in. 
So where are they going to go on the mainland? Yeah. I mean, how many of the docks are going to be there? Yeah. Um, if they get to a dock, is there going to, do they have a vehicle over there, and are the roads going to be passable? Right. Everyone is better off preparing and sheltering in place here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is, like, when I think about it for myself, a misconception for me would be get to somewhere because that's safer than where the disaster already hit. So let's get out of this area. Let's just flee to somewhere else. Yeah. But you may not be able to get to somewhere else from here. Yeah. You're better off here. The biggest concern is with the number of people that have children that go to school in Stanwood Mm -hmm. or people that live in Stanwood with maybe kids that are here. Yeah. um, Or spouses that one's home and one's working off island. The biggest concern is how do you reunite after something like this? Yeah. But for, for all practical purposes, if you're on the island, you're better off sheltering in place. Yeah. Um, getting supplies could be a problem. We do have the yacht club on the island. And those who have boats that uh, are capable, they have, uh, many of them have volunteered that they could ferry uh, supplies back and forth from a barge or whatever. We don't have any um, ports here on the island deep enough for a barge, a major barge. Yep. Um, Barnum Point, maybe, but only at high tide. Yep. So it would have to be out in in the sound with ferrying going on. Yeah. Um, There is also the possibility of having supplies brought into our north end airport. Okay, yeah. Um, It's a little dicey there, too, but, but it is a possibility. Yeah. So supplies yeah. can be brought in. It will just likely take a good while before they get to us. We're not high on the list of yeah. people to respond to because we're not a real population-dense area. Yeah. Well, and that's something, too, is that, like, you know, if we get hit or, like, you know, in the tsunami scenario where it, takes, it does end up taking out, like, the bridge or kind of damaging some of that, mm-hmm. Whidbey's going to be a lot more damaged because they've taken the brunt of that. And obviously there's a lot more dense there's cities and stuff like that would be where yeah you would imagine a lot of the the aid and stuff would go that way right yeah they do have multiple fire stations um multiple police and sheriff on island uh they have a larger number of medical facilities and they've got pharmacies Mm -hmm. so their supplies may not last long but they are better equipped than what we are here right we have a, a fire department that has I believe it's seven firefighters on duty at any given time mm-hmm. for the whole island. Yeah. Um, I believe it's only two sheriff's deputies yep. on duty at any given time. Yeah. That's going to be stretched really, really thin in short order. Yeah. So we need to rely on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so then... Um, what do you think is the most crucial step that people could take today to start, you know, if they hear this and they're like, oh, yeah, I really should be more prepared. What would you say is the first step they should take today? Actually, it's two steps. Okay. Make sure that their pantry is, is stocked with a variety of foods. I mean, you, it, canned foods have moisture in it, so you're good there. A freeze-dried is going to take moisture. Do you have enough water to get by? Make sure you have an extra supply of water in case the power's out and you have no way of getting the water from your wells. And know your neighbors. <laughs> That's the second step. Know your neighbors and work together. Yeah. Very so. cool. Awesome. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. 
So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Oh, my. Uh, we live on such a tight budget, we don't make many purchases. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me think. I would have to say... Uh, replacing my uh, the water cooler for my husband's purified water. Our other one went out. Yep. So that would, that would have to be it. Nice. Uh, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Outside my family? The most influential person? Well, there's a whole series of people. Uh, just about everybody I work with in the, the preparedness group. Uh, they have a major impact on, on me and on keeping me enthusiastic. Um, then uh, people in the writing community, because I am a writer, uh, they have a tremendous impact on me as I read through the stresses and problems that they deal with. And friends who are there for me. Um, there is one neighbor in our neighborhood that has been absolutely dynamite and she probably would be at the high end of my list nice that's very cool um all right this is a fill in the blank question i know this is weird but i've always wanted to blank i've always wanted to visit ireland very cool awesome do you have uh family or friends there or anything that's drawn you there um ancestry wise uh it's heavily steeped in uh the british isles Probably uh, Wales and England were the top two, with Ireland and Scotland coming in next. But I've always had a fascination for Ireland. Yeah. I do have some ancestry from, from Ireland. Okay. Very cool. All right. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Bill Swander. Bill Swander. Okay. Awesome. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh, learn to accept yourself. Yeah. Was that something you struggled, that you struggled with as you were kind of in that, that time period? Yeah, growing up and, and knowing the constraints that girls were under at that time and always feeling like I never quite fit in because I, I wasn't happy with the, these are the options. Um, I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. It took a long time for me to, to decide, it's fine. I'm okay f being who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Yeah. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Rhonda Paulson for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can always go to our website at manocommons.com slash podcast. Or check out the show notes in whatever podcast you're listening to. Uh, listen to what you listen to. All right. With that, I will talk to you guys on the